but it's just it's just like masturbation, isn't it? Like they're just they're just talking about it because it feeds the illusion that they have in their mind that actually it's a lot more complicated than initially it seems. How about that as a podcast topic? So simplicity. <sighs> Welcome to episode nineteen of the Propane Fitness Podcast. You've got me and Johnny today, and this episode is called "Simple Rules, Dramatic Results." So we're going to be discussing why the protocol is the way it is and why it may seem deceptively simple. So really this comes from quite a raw place from both of us because we've been round the houses in the past with a lot of training mistakes and, and diet supplement mistakes that we've made getting to the point that we are. And uh, most of it centered around overly being focused on the minutiae and overestimating the relative contribution of those details so as a result you know we were really worrying about things like I think I mentioned this in the last podcast but there was a phase when I read um, Kiefer's backloading book which has some good data in and I'm not not slating Kiefer um, a lot of people seem to think that we that we just hate Kiefer that's definitely not the case but um <laughs> It was, it was really our error in overestimating the importance of some of the things in this book. So, for example, we would both come home after training, load up um, 50 to 100 grams of maltodextrin, um, 7 grams of creatine, like 11 grams of leucine. Um, God forbid you put 12 grams in and, uh, you know, some 400 milligrams of caffeine post-workout and mix it all up and have it precisely 45 minutes after the end of the session um, get really stressed if you get held up on the way back from the gym and you can't have your workout shake within within that precise window and uh, you know 4.59 p.m. you can't have any carbs but 5 p.m. exactly you can start eating carbs because of the, the glut four all these little things um, and what happened was that we ended up falling into a confirmation bias and attributing any results that we got to those precise details um anyway i've gone on a bit of a, a rant before we've even started so um just gonna yeah, just given all of the content of the podcast away in the first <laughs> 30 seconds why it's um, an emotional topic <laughs> yeah well i think we both we both went through it, it it'll have been several years really since we started to um maybe two years ago i think we had a period of time where we consistently tried to optimize what we were doing and we believed that the progress was a result of the optimization rather than the fact that actually if you look back over our all of our training lives the things that we have always kept in place are the basic things that you'll have heard over and over again because it's more popular now but calorie balance macronutrient ratios and then organizing that over time such that you meet your goal and then progressive overload in training um, managing intensity volume and, and stress over time such that you recover from the volume that you're training with and that you you're getting stronger or increasing muscle size whatever your goal is but it's the problem is I mean, so the reason we created the protocol was because we got really frustrated i think we felt like we'd been duped into believing that all of these things were necessary and the problem arises when you try to stick to these things for a long time you realize that either you have to live a pretty restricted life or 
you get frustrated when you realize that you've fallen off the wagon and that can lead to kind of a almost like a binge type mentality where um you messed up your backload so why not just go out for a pizza at the middle of the day and then just spend the rest of the day eating junk and get back on the on the program tomorrow or you try to fast for well, this, 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 there's a funny story about this actually but you try to fast for 36 hours and fail um and so you might as well just eat 5,000 calories that day. Um, <laughs> does, that, does that story ring a bell? Yeah, massively. It's <laughs> a so quick, quick detour onto this story. So Yusef was trying to do, when we were doing ADF, because again, we thought that was the best thing to do. Was it, was it water? Was it a tea with sugar in? What was uh, the thing that you had? I thought this was something. That, oh, yeah. Okay. So was doing ADF. <laughs> so so me and Johnny have both done something relatively similar in this yeah. case. But, um, so yeah, mine was doing alternate day fasting. That's 36 hours of no eating, just water, and then 12-hour um, eating window. So you'd eat basically on Monday, don't eat Tuesday, eat Wednesday, etc. And uh, so I was having water and coffee had a coffee, didn't realise that my brother had put a spoon of sugar in the coffee. So I then decided that because I'd had a, a spoon of sugar in my coffee and effectively ruined my my uh, my fast that I was 24 hours into, logically, the sensible thing to do is to then just eat 5,000 calories on that day, isn't it? So went ahead Well, you're not and, fasting anymore, so... Well, exactly, you, well you, you ruined like the fast. Overfeed. So, you know, you, you very, very clearly and cleverly justify to yourself that eating 5,000 calories is the appropriate thing to do. Um, yeah. And I, I think, Johnny, yours was the, the <laughs> Volvic story in the cinema. <laughs> so, a similar story. So, been fasting all day since the previous evening. Over 24 hours, approaching the, you know, I'm into the 30-hour range by this point. Pretty hungry, pretty lightheaded. And think... You know, okay, I can't have any calories, but that Volvic touch of fruit water is really nice, and it's just sweetener and flavour. So I'll get two bottles of that, um, and I'll just sip that throughout the cinema, so it kind of gets rid of my hunger. Um, and only when I got home did I realise that actually Volvic touch of fruit is pretty um, heavily sugared. So I, I can't remember the macros off the top of my head, but I think I'd it's like, like 11, 12 grams per 100 milliliters. So, yeah. so the, the two liter bottle will have been 200 <laughs> grams of carbs. And, I, and I'd had two of them. So I'd gone from trying to fast all day to just having 400 grams of sugar. Um, so naturally, you know, well, I'm not fasting anymore, so let's just start eating. So I think I started eating all evening and then just extended my feeding window into the next day as normal. But I guess, so I guess the take-home point there is that because we were following something that we believed what we were doing was creating this kind of optimal fat-burning environment during the fasting window, and then when we ate, it was kind of balancing the potential fat gain with this optimal environment. And if we trained at the right times, ate carbs at the right time and that kind of thing, we're, we're giving ourselves the best possible chance to either lose fat while retaining muscle or build muscle while staying lean um and i really think at the time you know we were we were always reading pr from sources that were biased towards these ideas so when you're fasting you tend to read articles on why fasting is good you know you don't tend to look up why is why is fasting going to lead to 
um, funny eating habits and dodgy attitudes towards food, you, you tend to look up, um, you know, why is fasting the optimal approach? And the same with backloading, the same with paleo, any approach that is dogmatic and involves a strict set of parameters that can't be broken, I think leads you to this, it leads you down the path of confirmation bias where any progress you make is the result of the rules, but then equally any stagnation or plateaus you reach are also as a result, as a result of the rules. So if car backloading doesn't work, it's not because you fail to manage the overarching themes of calories and progressive overload. It's because maybe you should be front-loading your carbs or maybe you should be fasting more or maybe you were eating carbs too early in the day. Um, so I think the, the critical error as well as that causing you to spin your wheels mentally is that what the error that both me and Johnny fell into on that at that point was, as I said at the start, overestimating the relative contribution of those extra details so with fasting for example um, we thought okay because I've broken the fast it's more important that I stick to this like fast feed cycle than skewing my weekly calorie intake by a huge margin Uh, (laughs) in fact we probably didn't know what our weekly calorie intake was and because calories varied between five to ten thousand calories on each uh, on each day each feeding day um, the average is really a bit of an unknown thing um, yeah. also in terms of the mental attitudes we have an article called the dark side of intermittent fasting written by Johnny and uh, we'll put the link in the description below for that so the idea between behind relative contribution of stuff that's really why we've um, put Eric Helms nutritional pyramid in the protocol and if you look on the infographic as well, you can see that um, that's really the key thing to always look back to. And if you ever find yourself getting bogged down, um, like if you're in the cinema and you have two two litre <laughs> bottles of Volvic touch of fruit and you're worried about done. it, just look at the pyramid, realise that your total calories are the most important thing. It doesn't matter that you've messed up your meal timing and frequency, which is further up the pyramid and therefore less important. And just keep yourself grounded that way. So, I mean, yeah, the, the, really the the thing to take home would be in my stupid situation. I mean, firstly, I would I shouldn't really be finding myself in that situation anyway. But really, rather than thinking, oh, I've made a small mistake, so all hope is lost. Let's just dive into this calorie feast when I get home. I should have just tried to hit my minimum protein target and then gone to sleep and just treated it as a normal eating day. Um, that's kind of the the attitude of well the, the rules are flexible and there isn't anything that's rigid i have a range of possible outcomes for each day rather than just a correct or incorrect approach but leading you know it's been i think combined it's probably taken us seven or eight years each so a, a decent while of making a lot of mistakes to reach this point of realization that actually most of what is perpetuated in the fitness industry is optimization for the sake of either profit or entertainment. Um, and that what we've come to realize, I think, through working with over several hundred people at this point, um, is that really the thing to conquer is what, what, we, what we essentially coach and what we receive through coaching <clears throat> is both um, habit and behavior change and then also accountability. And when you see and read 
seminars and articles and books on topics that are so far away from the basic principles that it becomes almost irrelevant whether or not somebody does that thing or doesn't. You start to kind of see through the, what is what is being sold or what is what the the kind of underlying agenda um and i think it leads both of us to get quite frustrated a lot of the time yeah but massively um if, and i think really that's why we've <clears throat> we've collated the simple rules dramatic results slogan and and the, the simple rules in the protocol in in that we genuinely believe that they will take you as far as as your goal um regardless of, of how advanced that goal is um, that, you know, if you look at all the people in fitness who have achieved something in terms of physique or strength or whatever, the only commonality between them all is they've progressively overloaded in some way. They've had a lot of consistency and, and adherence to whatever their plan is, but their plans themselves may be vastly different. And so, um, some people may not have eaten carbs at all. Some people have eaten primarily carbs and no fat or, or, um, trained exclusively within a certain rep range or whatever. So looking at that on aggregate, there clearly isn't anything magical about any one meal frequency or rep range or macronutrient or whatever. Um, it must be something that's more fundamental to all of that. Yeah, so I think I discussed this kind of idea in an article called Flexible Dieting, A Logical Perspective. And what I basically talked about in that is that there are plenty of examples in any subcategory of fitness so within the paleo community fasting backloading if it fits your macros whatever it might be there's examples of people achieving their goals um, and so it cannot be any one of those individual characteristics of those programs that is causing the success it must be something that is operating at a much higher level than any of those individual differences and obviously the, the things that are causing the success are, as you have mentioned, calories monitored over time and progressive overload. Um, and so when you're at that point, it then becomes a decision of, I should only really add something in beyond that if I actually gain intrinsic satisfaction from that change. So um, a good example might be recently I've started skipping breakfast and not eating till lunchtime. And that is not because... I think that I'm creating this magical fat burning environment. It is simply because it's easier for me at the minute, schedule wise, to just eat at lunch. Um, and I'm very, I'm mindful of the idea that if I keep doing it for a long period of time and don't have periods where I cycle that on and off, it might start to lead to um, hunger pattern and a, and a relationship with food that isn't sustainable. But I only learned that because I experimented with it, tried it, and realised that actually. Fasting isn't necessarily always the best thing to do. But if you are of the opinion that fasting is magical and that even if you do start to create those negative associations with food or start to experience kind of uncontrollable hunger at midday, and you still, but you believe that fasting is magical, you're going to push through that and keep going. I think that, I mean, that's, it's another problem, isn't it, with, with these kind of strict patterns and routines that people follow them blindly. But yeah, so our, our, attempt with the protocol was to collate you know there's, there's nothing particularly we're not reinventing the wheel with any of the advice we give but it's kind of curation of best practice and experience over time to distill it down into the simplest yet most effective ways to change your physical performance 
And I, yeah, I, I what what we both do is ninety percent of the time the principles that we preach in that protocol, with the exception of some some differences with training. But that's maybe for another pro- podcast. Even then, I feel like the differences in our training are probably down to schedule and preference. And um, as Johnny said, um, with something like you know, if you're particularly attached to a certain style of eating or training or whatever. Um, like intermittent fasting, and you find that there is a downside, the risk is if you put too much stock in it, then you can end up being wrong longer than you need to be wrong. And by wrong, I mean um, in the sense of you you could be doing something that is harmful to you and remain in that state of, of causing yourself harm longer than you need to. For example, alternate, alternate day fasting, if you believe that there's some incredible... Uh, benefits to that for your body composition and you end up developing a an eating disorder in the process then you've clearly shot yourself in the foot but um i suppose that's an extreme example to use because probably hardly anyone listening to this is going to be doing alternate day fasting um i wouldn't recommend it it's uh, you certainly learn a lot about yourself but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's about it um a lot of it came from this belief that i think we both had and it's looking back on it, like with retrospect, it was such a, a weird belief to have. But it was the idea that the day, like a 24-hour window, is an impenetrable compartment and there's no movement between between days. So if you don't hit your fat target on a certain day, that's it. Like you've you've supposedly ruined your hormonal output because you've been below 20 grams of fat on um, Tuesday. Whereas in actual fact, like... There's nothing special about a 24-hour period. It's just the way that we mentally categorize these things. But for whatever reason, it's very easy to get um, stuck into that kind of mindset. And uh, now the the approach that we take, again, something that we've uh, we both got from our, from our coach and uh, we put in the protocol is the idea of 48-hour macros and that if you don't hit your targets on a certain day, it's fine to average out your weekly calories or to make it up the day before or day after. Um, a lot of the time, if we have a client that has a wedding coming up or something and they know they're going to be going well over their calories, we'll just say create a calorie sink a few days before. So eat slightly lower than your target intake a few days before, make up the average on the, the final day out, or um, do it later. But I think knowing that is much more liberating because then you don't think that you have to make up the calories or the training volume or whatever on the day it's very you know it's flexible in the sense that you can then rather than punishing yourself make it up over several weeks and you'll barely feel the uh, effect of it yeah um I, I think again another article reference but there's two articles i wrote recently on i think 10 ways to make your diet more flexible and in that i spoke about stuff that um i've used myself uh, with kind of navigating social situations and use very, very frequently with my clients. And it extends all the way from 48-hour macros, which is literally if you have 100 grams of protein on Monday, uh, or 100 grams of protein on any day of the week, then <clears throat> you would spread that and name for a 200-gram total over 48 hours and apportion it as you please. But that can extend to weekly averages or weekly totals, monthly totals. Um, you know, if you have a bad week or if you have a fortnight's holiday planned, then you know you can have two weeks of kind of calorie excess and balance that by two weeks of deficit. Um, 
But I always caveat that with we try and cap it at a maximum deduction from each day because you never want to make any of these changes to the extent that it affects adherence because that's also you know being consistent over time combined with these principles is also another key principle that I think is often overlooked and something that when people are talking about these methods of optimization they often forget about is really what I'm considering is human behavior my ability to stick with something for a long period of time the tendencies that I might have to deviate from this plan when my motivation wanes and then um all of the kind of things in my life that might make sick into this difficult, you know, frictions between the ideal plan that I'm setting myself out with and what's what I'm actually scheduled to do over the next 10 weeks. So I've read Carb Night and it says I should do 20 weeks of low-carb dieting, but actually I've got two weddings, I've got some exams to sit, I've got a really stressful period at work, and you just kind of stick with that plan, come hella high water and end up in like a end up in Krispy Kreme at midnight because things got too much for you. Um, whereas if you stuck to kind of the more basic principles and just let things flex and adjust over time, you're going to end up at a, in a position that is more sustainable and eventually reach your goal. It might take slightly longer, but you'll eventually get there. I think there's a phrase that I'm probably going to get it wrong, Yusuf, but it's a phrase that you used in one of your articles that isn't, isn't out yet, which is that um, the bad news is there's no best way but the good news is there's no best way. Is that, have I got that right? Um, I think you've butchered it, but I'm going to ha- <laughs> let's have a look. <laughs> um, oh dear. I know what you're getting at. And oh, here we go. The bad news is there's no way to accelerate the process. The good news is there's no way to accelerate the process. That's it. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I think the, the adherence, as Johnny said, is a really critical thing, and it's not. It's often again overlooked. And there's an article I've written called "Is Low Carb Better for Fat Loss?" To use that example, and yeah, it's the idea that even in the data, whether or not it's debated whether it's going to be superior for fat loss, I'm not convinced that it actually is physiologically. Um, if you match the the calories, I think maybe it's slightly better for satiety, but. Um, again, social awkwardness of being zero carb and trying to go out for a meal and asking for a, a chicken breast with the lettuce and hold the bread and stuff. It just makes you a bit of a weirdo. Regardless, even if it is 20% faster, which would be a very significant margin, that would just mean that you'd be dieting for eight weeks rather than 10 weeks on the same kind of calories, which in the scheme of things, if that's eight weeks of hell compared to 10 weeks of barely noticing that you're dieting and having 250 grams of carbs during your diet and being able to go out for meals and stuff, then really optimizing it isn't actually that beneficial. Yeah, you're going to lose fat faster by two weeks, but um, if it's not going to be enjoyable, then the success rate itself is going to, is going to drop. And I think another issue of adherence is the variety in your training program or doing movements or or rep ranges that you like so if someone said okay you've got to now go into the gym four times a week and squat four sets of 10 at 65 percent of your max you'd probably (laughs) hate that person and uh, although the program would work and it would increase your squat more than say doing it for three sets of four 
um, for three times a week or, or once a week. Um, maybe that's a, a better longer term approach in the sense that, I mean, injuries and, and recovery and things aside, uh, there is some data to show that variety in someone's training program increases adherence. And that's that's quite an obvious thing to say, really. But the kind of people that hire a personal trainer, for example, they're effectively looking for a cheerleader or some motivation and some way to, to make their training interesting and more easily stuck to. And so if that means that someone's going to have them standing on a, a BOSU ball and swinging a dumbbell around um, to trick them into doing that in between sets of actual movements and, and progressing, then fine. But in our opinion, the reason why we didn't add that kind of stuff into the protocol is that that would be insulting your intelligence and you're not training for entertainment. I'm sure you've got hobbies that are much more entertaining than, than that. <laughs> so really, we want to get you as strong and as lean as rapidly as possible. And, uh, you know, whether or not you find the training part boring, it has to be obviously interesting enough to keep you going. But assuming you're listening to this podcast and reading the website, that's probably not going to be the limiting factor. Um, I think the more likely scenario, and that's something that, that if I were reading the protocol is, of you know, what I would think is that I would look at, say the rep range and the, the rep progression and thinking, oh, that's double progression. That's not quite enough to, um, you know, provide more than 10 weeks of progress. And it's, you know, it's not enough to shock the muscles or any of these weird uh, reasons that we have to introduce more variety. Whereas, for example, we had a, a user write in, a, a reader write into um, the Facebook page recently saying that he effectively has stopped caring about training, but he still goes to the gym two or three times a week, eats intuitively, trains intuitively, and he says that he's getting similar progress to when he was counting things out and weighing weighing out his food to the gram of the macros, and and really he's just eating according to his own satiety cues, and um, in that way he doesn't need to, he's realised that loosening the reins a bit isn't too much of a problem for him and it's still i think i think that very idea <clears throat> is if you just take anybody who's who's vaguely interested in fitness and just is a member on, of instagram scrolls down their instagram feed and just watches what the main content is it's people posting meals it's people posting progress um and it's people generally very caught up in details and so obviously that's two things one is that obviously we're highly we're driven in a very social manner. You know, we crave accept we crave acceptance and we crave um, praise from either our friends, family, and then also people who we've never met before. Now that the internet allows that, but also um, it's those people are all so involved in their day to day, minute to minute decisions that they think it's relevant to take a photo of um, their protein porridge in the morning, as though that is that matters, and kind of. The, the better place to be w with regards to this is to almost forget what you had for breakfast. You know, eat it, track it as you need to, and then it's just another meal you ate. Um, if you're so caught up in every meal and every training session and every decision, then 
yes, you'll you'll get to your goal eventually, but it'll very, be a very painful pro- process, and it'll feel like it takes you an age. Not to mention that <clears throat> that will become the main component of your life. I think most people really start training, start dieting because they want it to be something that enhances their experience. They want to feel better about themselves. They want to look more attractive, feel better, um, perform better, whatever the goal might be. But when the process, the training for that enhancement becomes the thing that you spend the most time doing and thinking about, it's kind of a defunct cycle that you end up in because you end up doing less things with your friends, you end up being less social, you end up feeling more neurotic about the way that you look, you end up focusing more about, I didn't hit my macros this morning, or I ate carbs in that meal and I shouldn't have done. Really what what we're trying to perpetuate and what we're promoting is picking a set of rules that work, that can withstand several or any situation, and then just letting that become background noise that is always there, it's always playing, but it's never really at the forefront of your conscience. And there's a phrase that I think, I mean, every, everything that relates to diet flexibility is always from Alberto Nunez, but um, two things he said. One was, there is never, there's no situation that he is aware of that should force you to deviate from your plan, that should force you to deviate from your diet. That's only possible when you have the simplest rules possible, when they are the, as flexible as they can possibly be. And then second, that really the goal of macro tracking isn't to become good at tracking macros. It's to be able to not track macros. So it's the nirvana, Jedi-like status, really, is getting to the point where you just manage your body weight and your, your ideal body composition through intuition. And you can't do that when you think that you need to eat paleo all the time or you think you, need to, you can only eat at certain times a day because it's not flexible. It will eventually fail. And I guess that's a, that's a very roundabout. We've discussed a very simple idea in a very roundabout way, but that is why the protocol is a protocol, isn't it? Yeah, I think that was that was really well put. And the idea that it's just another meal, I think, yeah, it, particularly if you're scrolling through Instagram and you've got a lot of fit pros on your newsfeed and stuff, you're going to believe that organic chopped avocado with kale and quinoa is the breakfast that you should be having. <laughs> ignoring the time it takes to prepare the cost of buying all those ingredients the the taste as well you may actually hate all that stuff whereas really if you had a multivitamin some cocoa pops and a scoop of whey you'd probably be fine and you'd also much more likely be able to just get out the door get to work get to school whatever without a problem it's the same with training as well isn't it yeah, like, I think the number of people that have asked us about DUP since we posted a few video logs about the fact that we're doing daily undulating periodization is incredible. Like I think everybody, it, 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 again, it's something we were guilty of, wasn't it? That you see your kind of people in the fitness industry, you see what, the way that they're training and you think that that's the best way to train. Whereas actually, before we did DUP, we did over a year on 531, over a year on just much simpler progression models and the, the only reason that we did that we moved to DUP was because w- the way that we decided to progress at that point was to increase frequency it's almost a false yeah. signal I think like when you see someone with you know when we used to see Dave Tate or um, whoever using bands and doing speed work and stuff the the assumption that you, you automatically correlate it and you assume that 
they've got to where they are by doing that, whereas uh, it's much more likely that they didn't. And also, in terms of the context as well, like using bands or, or chains or um, box squats or whatever else is very context-specific, and it's not something that um, to, to develop a, a better raw squat is, is needed. Well, it's very different if you're a one a thousand pound squatter in an American Federation using triple ply triple ply squat suit, not drugs tested, so anything goes, and you're adding in box squats with single bands as in one training session per week to to reading West Side and thinking right, I need a dynamic effort day with bands or chains, and I need a max effort day. Um, it's just taking it's taking something that is so specific and applying it in a generalized manner because you think again that it's the specifics that are causing the progress rather than the overarching theme there is no way that the guys at Westside are still not aware of the fact that while the bands are there they're not having any you know, what yes they're practicing and replicating the force curve that you would get with a squat suit and they're building specific part of strength but there's no way that they would just violate the well we still need to be progressing over time principle we still need to be managing our training volume so that we can recover from it um it's a very easy mistake to make to misinterpret that as well because obviously all the content that's put up online and and the books that are designed to sell or whatever that you know i think the the assumption or at least the people who sell the west side book or whatever will be that they'll already be basing it on the foundational assumption that you are progressing and the rest of your um, diet is dialed in and so on they're just talking about yeah. the additional things but for the uninitiated it's very easy to to ignore that or to miss it unless there's some kind of caveat at the start of it that says yes this will work but it'll only add an extra five percent onto the existing idea of doing some kind of linear progression for example so what? that alongside with having deliberately distorted information in the industry makes it quite murky and hard to kind of extract what the critical variables are. So hopefully we're doing that very slowly. Yeah. I mean, when you learn from people who are experts in their, in their various fields, I think they accidentally forget what it's like to be back at the start. You, know, you you take for granted a lot of the things that beginners would actually be struggling with and combine that with people who, you know, you watch a video online of, of uh, again, sticking with the Dave Tate example, you watch a video online of Dave Tate training and you see a brush stroke of the total painting and think that the reason the painting looks the way it does is because of that single brush stroke when actually on its own it would be irrelevant. It wouldn't it wouldn't it would look like a single brush stroke and no who wants that there's actually um, um, a quote from Gary Weber in a book that I'm currently reading which is spiritual teachers this is he's talking about um, his enlightenment experience and how um, he'd basically done 20 years of yoga and meditation and accumulated um, what he thinks was maybe 10,000 hours in each and he's saying spiritual teachers rejecting earlier practices as unnecessary seems no more reasonable than an Olympic high diver saying that she no longer jumps off the side of the pool as she did as a beginner um, and that it was all unnecessary. Similarly, a concert violinist would not claim that years of practicing scales and fingering were unnecessary as she no longer needs them. Yeah, 
well, it's it comes down to the best um, the best plans are often complexity distilled into simplicity, aren't they? Everything's built on simple principles are the, are the, when you distill it down. And those experts would not be where they are without basic main principles, which is, I think, what we realize the hard way. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. But fortunately for you, the listener, it's not John. We're here. <laughs> <laughs> We've done it, so you don't have to. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's... No one's used that catchphrase before, have they? We can... Oh, yeah, I'm sure we can copyright that. <laughs> Okay, so I think that's everything we've got from episode 19. If you've got anything more that you'd like us to specifically discuss, any questions you've got, um, you can either get in touch with us via the contact form on the main website or Facebook, Twitter, anything you fancy really. But yeah, we hope you've enjoyed the content and we'll speak to you soon.